Zeros. I am Josh Buck. Call to follow me on Twitter at Josh G. Buck. Hit up the Facebook page, Triple Zeros, no ease. Hit up the website, jukesandjumpers.wordpress.com. And, of course, if you need to contact me, email me uh, at triple zero. Uh, triple zeros, triple zeros at gmail.com. Again, no ease, triple zeros, no ease at gmail.com. First episode where we are flipping what we usually do. Normally, we start off the show with a little bit of NFL action, but as we know, the Super Bowl has been played and we are entering to the offseason. So we're going to swap it out, start off with the NBA. The NFL section will grow, will shrink a little bit, but we'll get into some draft stuff really starting next week. We'll mention a couple of things at the end of this episode, but the, the offseason preparation and scouting and, and predictions and mock drafting and all that stuff will be going on a lot more in the upcoming weeks. However, we are in the middle of basketball season coming up on the all-star break and we saw a flurry of action today on thursday in the nba with the trade deadline coming up or trade deadline passing you saw a blockbuster trade on late wednesday night early thursday morning depending on where you were you saw a flurry of activity not really in the morning but more towards the afternoon right around the deadline actually you saw teams left and right just making deals adding players to deals changing protections on picks and things of that nature so it was a really active period for a lot of teams a lot of teams except for of course my hometown Chicago Bulls but we'll get to them in due time the first first big deal that we have to talk about was the Houston Rockets being involved in a 14 deal that ultimately landed them Robert Covington it sent Gerald Green to the Denver Nuggets along with the first round pick from Houston and Clint Capella went to the Hawks you also had the Timberwolves getting Malik Beasley and Evan Turner and Juan Hernan Gomez and the Hawks first round pick. Now, there's a lot of other parts coming around with this. You ended up having Jay Crowder moved to, I'm telling you, it's all over the place. You had Justice Winslow go to the Grizzlies. Jay Crowder went to Miami Heat. You had Andre Iguodala traded from the Grizzlies to the Heat. He signs an extension. This is after Dylan Brooks called him out for saying that he wanted him to be traded so they could play him and show him what they're all about. John Morant co-signed, and it, I'm telling you, I know it sounds like I'm all over the place, but this is how everything was unfolding throughout the day, and it really is just a lot. We'll re- I'll, I'll summarize it all, but I'm just telling you how it all was kind of trickling down throughout the day. You had Justice going to the Grizz. Um, Brooks, Dylan Brooks called out Iggy, said that he wanted to trade him so that they, he could play him, and so that the Grizzlies could play him, and he could see what they were all about. Iggy gets traded. Dylan Brooks gets a new three-year, $35 million contract, and... I just want to take a moment here before I continue with the rest of the trade for to talk about Dylan Brooks and the the progression this young man has had in his in, in his NBA career. See, I'm still in NFL mode. In his NBA career, he came up through the draft ranks and was being. I remember reading a lot of reports saying that he didn't really have a position. He wouldn't stick on because he didn't have elite athleticism. His length wasn't great. His shot was good, but it wasn't going to be consistent. He wasn't able to get it off all the time and. All he did was become a starter. He scored, I believe, 18 points around there right now. Three-year, $35 million new contract. And was out here capping at it, at, a, at a, a multiple champ in the finals MVP. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. I just love that kind of story. Again, they were. T- I remember reading that the man wouldn't be able to make it in the NBA because he didn't have a position. He didn't have a, a, a unique skill set. Even though he was a good shooter, they didn't think he'd be a great shooter. And all he does is go out there, get buckets, and man. Gotta love the attitude to, to to feel that you are able to say those types of things, and the team have the, the the face of the franchise and Morant back you up in that. Now, back to the deals that were going down. You had Andrew Wiggins get traded to the 
Golden State Warriors for D'Angelo Russell. Along with that deal, uh, Jacob Evans and Amari Spellman went to Min- to the Timberwolves. Now, this is an interesting one because it gets Wiggins, uh, that deadweight contract, out of Minnesota. It alleviates some of the issues that they were having with Carl Anthony Towns as well because, you know, he was complaining about not things going the right way. And we know that's the kind of the, the reputation that the Timberwolves have had is that they're not a team that's built for anything longe- longevity-wise because they just don't have that ceiling. Basically what Jimmy Butler was talking about before he got traded, before he forced his way out of there, honestly. But now it reunites Cat and D'Angelo Russell, best friends. If nothing else, you can play with your best friend. If nothing else, you're not going to win any many games. You're definitely not going to win that many games, especially after you got rid of Covington as well. But I digress. I think I think I still think that it's a good move for Minnesota. Gives them two exciting players, and you're going to see a lot of points between the two of them. You also have Andre Drummond getting traded to the Cavs in a very odd move, just because it was an interdivisional game. I know it's not a divisional trade, and I know it's not the same in the NBA with the divisions and everything like that, but it's just still an that It's not the first time that they traded either. And there's a, there was a running list. I think they have five current bucks on the Pistons roster right now. That trade involved spare parts, John Henson and such like that. Not really a move that I understand for the Cavs. Like I thought they would be sellers and trying to get rid of guys. Now I know Drummond's contract, I think comes off the books pretty soon. So that may, that obviously will play a part in it, but they still have, Kevin Love, you know what I mean? It just doesn't seem like they were it doesn't seem like a move that they should have been making at the time. They were giving up picks and stuff like that. And only to be outdone by the New York Knicks, who basically gave up more than they should have. We'll we'll cut it short. The long and the skinny of it is Mo Hark was for uh Marcus Morris. And the reason why this one was kind of a big deal is because this was a, a two team race for Marcus Morris' services between the Lakers and the Clippers, and this was seen as not necessarily the one that would put either team over the edge, but it was definitely a bigger need. In my opinion, I think it was a bigger need for the Lakers than it was for the Clippers because the Lakers need another score. They need another body with length who can cover on the wings and another guy with toughness off the bench, and that would have been perfect. That would have been Marcus Morris. Now, he definitely feels the same exact role void needs for the Clippers, However, we know that their two biggest stars are, that's what they do. So I'm not necessarily going to say that those are the ones that, that needed it most. I think that the Lakers probably needed it more, but the Clippers got it. And again, it's not in it, in its of itself, it's not the put them over the top deal, but it definitely is the one that, that makes it seem kind of, kind of puts them out of, I don't want to say out of the reach either, because it's not, it's not that, that one. It's not, cause the Clippers need a, another point guard. They need a, a true point guard, and they need some more size down low. But after tonight, maybe they don't. Maybe after Thursday night's game, they don't. We'll talk about that. We'll put a pin in the Clippers needing to make another, maybe the Marcus Morris deal is the perfect deal for them because it allows them to have another guy who can, in a pinch, play some five. Because that seems to be the way the league is going. You also had go back some of some of these other moving parts. Again, this is all over the place, a little bit scattered. So forgive me, but things were just coming in at, at random, and I was just kind of marking them down. You had James Johnson going to the Timberwolves for Gorgie Jang. The Warriors sent Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson the third to the Timberwolves. It was I'm telling you, it was just one of the the wildest things I've ever seen in my life to see how it was so quiet 
and all of a sudden the flurry happened. But that's just how it goes in the NBA. I'm I'm, I'm kind of over exaggerating. Saying it's one of the wildest things I've ever seen in my life. That's 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 probably a bit of a stretch, but it was still a flurry. No, nothing major except for the the Covington, the Covington and Capella deal. But even that's still mid-level guys, not really superstar deals. It's just, you know, it was just a lot of teams and a lot of moving parts. And then the D'Lo and Wiggins, it's big names, a lot of name brand stuff, a lot of money involved. Definitely was a lot of money, but I'm not sure if there's a lot of wins being transacted there in either sense. However, some other news, you had the 76ers. And if you've been following, and you should always be following the show, Triple Series. And if you don't subscribe, please hit that subscribe button. Also hit the like button, you know. Much appreciated. But if you've been following, you know that I said that the Philadelphia 76ers were my pick to be the representatives for the Eastern Conference in the NBA Finals. Well, nah. Doesn't seem like that's going to be happening. I told you how Al Horford was... Well, there was there was rumors of things going on in the locker room. Al Horford said there was some stuff going on in the locker room. Joel Embiid has said that the reason he hasn't been himself is due to trying to fit in, said the team needs to learn to sacrifice for one another, and that's per John Johnson, Philadelphia Sixers insider. Another quote from Embiid, I got to spend a lot of time at the three-point line just to make sure there's some spacing. Everybody keeps saying, get in the post, but if you actually understand basketball, you've got to find that balance. Now, clearly these are, I don't want to say shots, but they're shots at Ben Simmons and the fact that he doesn't shoot, so Joel has to kind of sit camped outside. And if you know anything about the way Joel plays, it's well documented that he's not a great three-point shooter. But his his willingness to take the shots and sometimes make them, but more so, more or less, the the willingness to take them is what keeps the defense his defender off balance. So they can't commit to him driving all the time or trying to get into the paint. They have to at least defend him because he might pull that shot and could make some of them, make enough of them to make you pay. I think that that's what he's trying to say. What he's what he's getting at there with, with Ben Simmons is that you, you have to adjust your game some too. You can't have it all your way. You have to start taking some of these outside shots because you're forcing the team to play a certain way. Now, it's funny because the argument here, and I think I've actually made it on the show, is that if I was to build a team between the two, I'd probably build it around Ben because of what he can do as a defender, what he can do as a passer. He doesn't have the outside shooting ability, and it might never come. But I still think that his ability to move guard one through five, honestly, especially with the way we'll again talk about where the way the league is going. But and then the the, the vision that he has. But you see them kind of I, I could see them in reality going around Joel Embiid, who is. All things being equal, probably the higher talent, the better talent, but he's much more injury prone. His playing style is very antiquated especially in today's nba and i think that trying to shoehorn the system around him trying to fit everything fit everything around him is what will ultimately limit them see ben i think allows them to be a lot more multiple if they could just get him not even to take three point shots but a little bit outside the paint and really really the the thing that i hammer with ben more than anything is the free throw line he has to improve at the free throw line if they're going to if he's ever going to approach his ceiling I'm not necessarily going to kill him for not taking the the three-point shot, but he should definitely be taking some mid-ranges, and he has to get better. Has to. Hard H has to get better at the free throw line, period. No, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Now, that being said, 
there's still a lot of upside to this team if they can figure it out if they can come together and, and, and get things going. Again, they were a couple of bounces away from the Eastern Conference Finals last year, or one, one wackadoo bounce away from the Finals MVP, mind you, a shot from the Finals MVP, mind you, that kept them from getting there. I just think that if you are going to blow it up, well, they didn't blow it up today. They didn't blow up before the deadline, so clearly they're going to wait and see what happens. But if they ultimately blow it up, I, I – they, I think they would be wise to build around Ben as opposed to building around and B. Now, to get my case in point about that, I think that they, I could see them going to build around and beat instead. Joe Cowley of the Sun Times, Chicago Sun Times, message to the Bulls was go out and get Embiid. The Bulls ultimately stood pat at the trade deadline, but going into it, there was some calls for them to make a major splash because where they're trending now is definitely not going to cut it. There's no way in in the world they're going to ever get anything going in the Eastern conference and they're, they're sitting, I think three and a half games back now of the Orlando magic in the AC four games back or something along the three and a half behind Orlando for the AC in the Eastern conference at 16, 19 to 34. And they're just too far away from the bottom, six games over the bottom and the Cleveland Cavaliers in the East to make any headway. They're definitely not, even if they get into the playoffs, you're going to be a first round out. So what are they really doing? And the, the call for Cowley was from Cowley to the bulls was, Make that trade of Embiid or of Zach Levine and Wendell Carter for Joel Embiid, and he was saying you have to get a superstar player. It seems like there's something there, a crack, a big enough crack there in Philly that you'll be able to break that up or get in to benefit from it. And he's saying that this is a very anti or not bull, non Bulls style move. I agree. Again, if I was to be going for him, I'd be trying to go get Ben because the Bulls need a point guard. He is the ultimate point guard now. He probably should be playing more of a point forward role, but that's neither here nor there. Basketball's positionless now. So, um, I really would like to see them do something along those lines. Go out and get a superstar. Make the move that you have to make. Zach is the closest the Bulls have to a superstar, so if they're going to trade him in the offseason, obviously, like I said, the deadline is passed. They can't. They didn't. Thank goodness, I guess. They didn't make any moves, though. That was a little bit disappointing. But, if they're going to make a move with him in the offseason, they have to get a superstar caliber player. And we'll talk about that in the future in the coming weeks and uh, episodes about how what stars they should, they should target should they move on from him. But as Cowley is stating, they have to do something to shake this up because it's just not going to work. And Embiid was in him. He, he mentioned he said also cited the fact that it would take the pressure off of Lowry marketing to be a center even part time because, you know, that or it would at least limit him to only be having to do it part time because the big thing now is to try to maximize Lowry's potential because it's been such a down year for him. And Cowley actually said on a hit with ESPN 1000 in Chicago that he feel that Lowry Markin's fed up with the organization that the current structure and when he can go he will go and that they it's essentially a, a tale of them mismanaging him to the point where he's now done with them. Sounds like a lot of the fans in the city. Not really surprising. Kind of surprised that it took this long to come out. I wonder how much truth is to it. You never know. You know, there could always be a little bit of exaggeration. Not an exaggeration for necessarily nefarious reasons, but just to write the story out. You know, just being saying that he's upset with the team doesn't necessarily fill up the whole page. Just put it that way. But I could totally see a world where Lowry is just like, man, this is the the pelvic injury that was misdiagnosed. No player will lose trust fast for an organization than when they mishandled their injury. 
their health is key. Their body is their their primary source of income, their primary means of generating income for their family. You compromise their ability to do, make their money, they're going to lose trust in you. Kawhi Leonard, that's how he ended up in Toronto because he lost ultimate faith in the San Antonio Spurs that they would be looking out for his best interest. Lowry's not feeling the same way. Now, Grant, obviously, it's not the same deal as Kawhi because Kawhi was already a Finals MVP at that point. But you get the idea. It's still it's still a very sensitive issue because this is a team that's been kind of an organization that's been kind of denying all the signs of failure and dysfunction. And it seems as though the calls are getting louder. The signs are getting more evident, and we'll see how long it takes for them to finally acknowledge the fact that. This is not going well. Nothing is going well. And there probably needs to be a massive structural overhaul for things to start getting corrected. Because if you lose out Lowry after all you did to get him here, Zach here, Chris Dunn here, and you end up breaking this thing up, there's going to be no shortage of terrible headlines written about the job that's been put on for the last 17 years. And there was a a graphic that was going around talking about the tenure of the Bulls, of the John Paxson Bulls, 17 seasons, four um, four times making it out of the first round of the playoffs, one conference finals. I think they had, I can't remember the number of, of, of all-stars, but it was like four different all-stars, or something, five different all-stars, something like that. It wasn't great. It was a horrible, just all bad. It's like 17 seasons to accumulate all that and the most discouraging one was the one conference final the four times making out of the first round of the playoffs. Now I'm not saying it's easy to do either of those things. However, 17 years you would hope you'd have lucked into at least one more final conference finals appearance and a couple of more trips out of the first round and a, a trip out of the you know. I'm just saying. I I just it, it it was depressing to see. Now that's when you queue up the John Paxson, trusty dusty old rusty. Well, when Derek got hurt. Well, when Lowry got hurt, or when Wendell got hurt, or when Otto got hurt, or when Chris got hurt, and it just gets tired. I've been saying it for, for a f- man months at this point how Bo- Jim Boylan. I know I'm just ragging on the Bulls at this point right now, but I got to get it off my chest, man. It's frustrating. All of these teams were making deals, and the Bulls did nothing, nothing. Not even move Denzel Valentine, who had who they don't even want to play. They don't even like him. They just hold on. That's how you know they don't like them. They hold on to you so they don't have to play you and you don't get any burn. That's crazy. This team is being run like a mom and pop shop in the middle of nowhere. And it's in the third largest market in the country. Stop it. Stop. I don't understand what this, what this, this infatuation. I've talked about that numerous times that that's just not a place that anybody, that any, and they won't admit that they don't have a path to, to, correcting it quickly because their reputation is so shot around the league. So they're smack dab in basketball hell with no way out. And they won't even acknowledge that they're in, in admire that they are mired in some sort of, of organizational quagmire as to which direction they want to go and how to correct it because they, they extended a head coach that hadn't proven anything and has, has shown that he is in over his head. The roster has been constructed poorly. Now, granted, they're missing, they were missing, what, four starters against the Pelicans on Thursday night when they got blown out? That's fine. But, man, this is bad. It's a bad team. It's poorly built, and the city of Chicago deserves better. That's my Chicago rant. Now, I just said all that to finally wind up back 
where I basically began all this NBA talk with the Houston Rockets and what they are doing. Now, they got a lot of flag, including for me at first. I kind of bristled at them moving uh, the Clint Capella on and basically running five guys out there, no one taller than six foot six. Now, P.J. Tucker at the five sounds overmatched. But remember I was talking about how if I was to be breaking up the Sixers, I'd be with Joel Embiid because his style and what he demands from the offense is antiquated. Well, case in point, P.J. Tucker at the five is definitely in theory or on paper, you know, if you're not really paying attention, an overmatched five at six foot five and 35 years old. However, in the modern NBA where you want to shoot as many threes as possible, especially if you're the Houston Rockets, that's the entire, that's your offense is basically predicated on that. You are bringing not only maximizing your ability to do so by having all five guys be able to shoot threes at a decent clip, maybe say for Russell Westbrook, but what he brings is such a counterpunch. And if you know, if you've been following, I'm a huge fan of Russ's. There's something to be said for the the ability to draw every defender out of the paint. And so even if you can be certain that you're going to have a rebound advantage for your team, you think you're going to be able to dominate them on the boards and you have a game like tonight or like Thursday where they played the Lakers and it was 38-37 rebounding advantage for the Rockets, something along those lines. They had like a one or two plus two board advantage and that's because you can't pack the paint on them. You have to be outside. You have to be defending everybody except for maybe, again, Russ, but Russ is so good at driving at you full steam ahead while you're trying to protect the rim that you get back on your heels ready to jump up, and then he just stops and pulls that pop, that 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 midi, and he was hitting them tonight, stroking for, I believe, 41 points. The the Lakers in that, that game, that the Lakers actually were leading and lost the lead, and it's not crazy to think that the Rockets have something that could work for them. We watched the Warriors pretty much run rush out over the league by running out that death lineup. Now, KD made that lineup unbeatable, that that group unbeatable, but it was a death lineup when it was HB40 in there. So let's not let's not act like it wasn't something dangerous no matter how limited it was. And I think that honestly what the Rockets have is more concentrated in who is going to be scoring the points, but it's so different in how it'll attack. I don't think it's any less effective. We'll see if they can keep it up and maintain this that level of play, that level of of everybody pitching at a time because uh, Covington had a good game. Covington came in and, and was immediately a contributor to the the Rockets against the Lakers. He managed to, as I am wanting to do, whenever I need the numbers, they always seem to go, disappear on me. That's always my favorite part of any explanation of why I liked any move, any player's game for that night or whatever the case may be. But Robert Covington came off the bench and had 14 points in his first game with the, with the Houston Rockets. They'll take that. Now, ultimately, he'll be starting, so that lineup will be six, seven, and under. But even still, the center won't be six foot seven. They're going to have a tough defense on the wings, and they're going to be able to score with the best of them. The Rockets, who were my dark horse team out of the West, it might be rising, honestly, because the next thing we're going to talk about. Whew. But that's that's something to keep an eye on with how they are, how they are kind of forcing the other team's hand post game. Anthony Davis was talking about how the, the, the Lakers just didn't match up well. They don't shoot good enough. You know, the Rockets are conceding twos because they're going to be taking their fair share of threes. Now, it's going to bite them in the butt sometimes. We'll see which one happens more. 
but they are banking on you wanting to take those twos that they're basically giving you because they're going to be out there plucking threes. Two for three. Basic math. So, can't fault it. I was a little taken aback, but it, 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 it's worked for one game at least, and it seems like they might have something where it can sustain itself if they're able to maintain the level of efficiency and effectiveness that they had going against the Lakers. Speaking of the Lakers, I have to say that was my, t- my team to come out of the West, and much like the Sixers, I am seeing some cracks in the foundation that, man, don't have me feeling as confident as I was a few months ago The when they first acquired Anthony Davis. First and foremost is the fact that Kyle Kuzma was the subject of trade rumors, and prior to that, he was doing all right, and then we've seen him have a little bit of a struggle trying to become uh off-the-bench option who also has to defend a lot of the times on the wing, and he got ate up by much smaller, much faster Russell Westbrook, and that's going to be a problem if that's what his assignment is ultimately going to be because he doesn't have the foot speed to stay with a lot of guys. He doesn't have the lateral quickness to stay with a lot of guys. doesn't really have the temperament, the willingness to stay with a lot of guys on the defensive end. So tasking him with that seems like a stretch. And then asking him to be an off-the-bench instant offense guy doesn't seem right either because he also feels like, I don't want to say a volume score, but he definitely needs a couple of buckets to get into a rhythm and kind of needs that to be consistent. So coming off the bench, you don't really get that consistent feel you kind of get sporadic spurts of things and he needs to have a running clock basically so that he can get going and i just don't know if that's going to be the case but it's the trade deadlines passed they did nothing rumor has it they could be getting jr smith and darren collison but that doesn't do it that doesn't move the needle i think that we've seen that they are already going to have trouble with the clippers prior to the deadline clippers just got better while kind of hurting the Lakers at the same time I'm going to stick with my pick for L.A. for for representative out of the West. Watch out for Houston. I'm just not so sure I can pick the Lakers with as much confidence. I'm not going to waver yet. We'll see what happens when we finally get to the All-Star break but and the buyout market is settled and all that kind of stuff. But right now, it definitely is, in my opinion, a three-team race with what the Rockets are. I just want to pick them now. I'm back to picking them because it feels fun. But with the two L.A. teams and the Rockets. Mind you, I don't trust the Jazz, and I don't trust the Nuggets, so you can say whatever you want to say about them. doesn't really matter to me. don't trust them when it comes down to it. They don't have the star power, and that ultimately shows up every single time. I wanted to say, I was going to talk about it before I saw the game, but I'm even more going to drill in on it now. Daryl Morey and Danny Ainge are very similar to me, and they are two guys who are trying to create teams in the, in a very unconventional way. On the one hand, with Daryl Morey, as we talked about, he keeps making these moves and bringing in the star power and making the the bold decisions and doing the 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 unconventional, the getting rid of your center. You, the Rockets, by the way, are undefeated with that lineup. I need to throw that out there. But you get the, he's a maverick of sorts uh, in trying to be cutting edge and innovative and, and constructing his roster and trying to chase that championship. And then in, in the East. You have Danny Ainge, who is also unconventional, but in a different way. He's not out wheeling dealing. Actually, Danny Ainge is more of a compiler of assets. And what he has is a team full of guys who are approaching superstardom, very close to superstardom, bordering on superstardom in Jason Tatum, and, and maybe a notch below, maybe a star on the rise in Jalen uh, Brown. But then you got the other guys, the Kimball Walkers and the Gordon Haywards, really good, not great players. Daniel Tice, but you have a uh, what they are is 
greater than the sum of their parts. So on the one side, you have the Maverick wheeling, dealing guy in Daryl Moore, who really doesn't seem to be able to settle on one type of offense before he gets bored with it. And Daryl Moore is playing 2K. Danny Angels too, but Danny Angels has traded away all his killers for some first-round picks, and he's got all his young guys out there getting 20-plus a game. But they're really the same kind of guy. Just one pulls the trigger all the time, one never does. It's yin and yang. <laughs> it's really it's really fascinating for me to watch to see these two GMs operate because I really think that they are very similar in how different they are. It's it's an, it's an odd conundrum, but one that I, I – I just sit back and marvel at every time I see either one of them pull a deal or how often you hear about Ainge and Celtics being close to getting uh, to going after this player, but it never happens. Those are the type of things that I think kind of signify because, again, Maury pulls the trigger. Ainge has always been mentioned, but never does. And I just they, they just seem like the, the perfect, like brothers separated at birth. It's it's really, really funny thing to to observe to me. I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, going to talk about some NFL stuff. But before I do that, I do want to say check out the Bull stuff uh, at PippinAintEasy.com. That's right. The Bull stuff will be at PippinAintEasy.com, P-I-P-P-E-N, AintEasy.com for the Bull stuff. But like I said, quick break, back in a moment. And when I do come back, we're going to talk about the NFL. Some players said goodbye and some other things that are happening as the as the, the Season winds has winded to a close, and we have a new champion crowned. You would think that means the work is stopping, right? It doesn't. NFL doesn't sleep. It's a year-round process. Back to Back now in Triple Zeros and switching gears to the NFL. Again, I am Josh Buckhalter. Follow me on Twitter at Josh G. Buck. Hit up the Facebook page, Triple Zeros, no ease. Hit up the Website jukesandjumpers.wordpress.com and email me email me if you need to reach out. Triple zeros at gmail.com. Triple zeros no ease at gmail.com. Now, first and foremost, I want to say it was a great career. Have a wonderful retirement to Eric Weddle. He's stepping away from the NFL after 13 seasons with both the or LA Chargers. I'm sorry, not both. With the LA Chargers, back then it was the San Diego Chargers. He spent time with the Rams this past season and with the Baltimore Ravens last year. The man is a five-time Pro Bowler, the five-time All-Pro, four-time Pro Bowler. He two first-team All-Pros, three second-team All-Pros, and eleven and a half career sacks, a gang of tackles, including the, uh, the the playoffs. A wonderful story career, and the best part is that his sign-off was beard out. His Twitter handle is Weddle's Beard, if you don't know, so give him a follow. And I'm sure that, like many of the recent retired plays, he has a future in media career because he's a very personable guy, very fun, funny guy to watch. But it was one of those ones that I think was uh, not surprising because he's, uh, he's been around for, again, 13 years. It's not, you know, not a spring chicken, as it were, but uh, that's uh, it, it's a great career. I, I just I wish he'd have got a ring with the Ravens. You know, little, little uh, selfish reason, my boy Lamar, you know. But I'm glad to see that he gets to go out on his own terms and didn't have to. Uh, he didn't look like a uh, like a scrub out there. He was still out there making plays. So sign off for the beard. Beard out, Eric Weddle. Good for you. Great career. 
happy retirement he joins a, a not a lengthy list but a, a pretty notable list of guys stepping away from the game obviously the surprise was luke keekley stepping away at about 28 years age, 28 29 years old he's had some injury issues especially with the the concussions that's very scary so i'm that was one that was when he kind of said it, it was like yep yep that makes a lot of sense but is i don't want to say you want to you, you hope that he's done but you you're happy to see him go. It's sad to see players that you that you know and respect in the game, who you think play at a high level, who think can still play at a high level, stepping away when they step away. It's always a tough time to see him go, but he seems to be very at peace with it, and I think that's that's ultimately what it's all about. Now, in other news and other players who might be moving on from their current teams, running backs. The current trend in the NFL is definitely not one that favors the running back position. So it's notable when two of the more the more recent high-paying blockbuster contracts that were handed out to running backs are now up on the chopping block. That is two NFC West guys at that. Todd Gurley of the Rams, who we were just talking about, and David Johnson of the Arizona Cardinals. Now, reportedly the Rams want to meet with Todd Gurley to discuss his future in the next week or so, and David Johnson the Cardinals reportedly are looking to either trade or release him outright. This is a cautionary tale of not paying running backs the big exorbitant amounts of money because, you know, they get hurt and they wear down because, you know, that's the position. Now, Gurley's is interesting because his situation is interesting because he came into the league with knee issues already. It wasn't a surprise that he was going to get hurt. I think it was a surprise that he got used as much as he did. But when he ultimately started wearing down, that wasn't the shot. They, and they being the Rams, definitely made it seem that like it wasn't a big deal like his injury was going to kind of fix itself it was just one of those things that needed some rest and some management but clearly how they handled him last season in the playoffs the year before and now with this something's not right they don't think it's going to get much better and they're probably trying to figure out a way any way possible to get out of that deal or to at least lessen the blow that that deal is going to have on their salary cap going forward because that's not a good thing they do not want to be on the hook for a guy who there who won't be there for the next few years, and I gotta tell you, it Gurley still has stretches where he looks like the man, but you clearly see how they handle him that he can't handle that heavy workload that he got in his first couple of years with Jeff Fisher, where he was the only thing that you could count on in that offense. So it's it's tough to see for him, and hopefully he can uh, he can regain some of the traction that his career was going on, but it doesn't look good for him in L.A. Then. With Arizona, with, with David Johnson, he was less highly touted coming out of Northern Iowa, but he definitely burst onto the scene with a great season. But injuries are taking their toll on him. This passing, he was basically sharing time with Chase Evans before the team, the Cardinals, went out and acquired Kenyon Drake from the Miami Dolphins. So Cliff Kingsbury in that offense is going to look to do a lot of things, but one of them is probably not going to be to pay a running back. They don't like to run the ball. That's not what that offense is built on. It's going to be built around Kyler Murray, the offensive rookie of the year. Congratulations, Kyler K1. But David Johnson is is not, at that price, not going to be what they're looking to do. They have so many holes in that offense. Offensive line, they need more weapons around Kyler. They need some help in the defense. There's no way that they keep David Johnson at that price. And it's just, it's rough because he was, he burst on the scene with such, such explosive, plays catching out of the backfield such a dual threat and to see it just go so fast and uh, you again you look at last year and Ezekiel Elliott catching on 
that big contract with the Cowboys. You look at Joe Mixon looking to cash in. Now, you look at Melvin Gordon and how it backfired holding out last year for him. He came back and didn't look great. And he's definitely not going to get the money now. But, like, I just, I just, I just wonder why teams keep paying the money, keep saying they shouldn't pay the money. And then why do running backs hold out knowing how the market is trending? Melvin, Melvin admitted it. It was, it, it was a, a bad play. It didn't work out for him. So I just, I just don't know how to, how to take these moves and put them, rectify them with people talking about, oh yeah, you know, Ty Gurley is, a, or, or Joe Mixon going to get the next contract or talking about, they're talking about releasing Le'Veon Bell this off season from the Jets. What is that? You know what I mean? Like where, where are these teams going to start finally figuring out? This is, these are after you knew about Gurley's knee. This is after you saw the injuries to David Johnson. This is after numerous other running backs get, got injured before that. So these aren't, new issues why do they keep occurring this way that's 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 just rough and again for both of those guys i hope that they ultimately work out for them and they can get healthy and continue their careers but it doesn't doesn't look good for them in their current cities and then again like i said it's going to be a truncated nfl segment this time just because we have some uh not that much news this week we'll start breaking down the draft and stuff especially with this team here hometown bears got to talk about them Jeff, Diver- Jeff Dickerson, easy for me to say, ESPN 1000 Bears insider, said that the Bears will be adding a veteran QB. He sped out the same two names we've been hearing, Andy Dalton and Marcus Mariota. I can't stress enough how how much I don't want that to happen. Neither one of them elevate. Neither one of them are honestly pushing Mitchell Trubisky to be anything. And if they do, that's a worse sign than I think anybody's actually wanting to let on. It's be- It's definitely worse than it is good that they finally have a guy who can get them to do anything with any modicum of, of, of consistency. Cause those two guys are consistent. That's what's, that's what I think throws me off about the Dalton and the Mariota marriages to the bears. The most is that you're talking about the bears needing to have some kind of steady play at the quarterback position. And neither one of those gentlemen does that. Neither one, but those are the two names that you hear the most. What? What? You want to talk about Cam Newton has been injured. He's not that same guy. Cam Newton's ceiling is 10 times higher than what Andy Dalton's ceiling is. If you're going to take a chance, you take a chance on the big one. The big, you don't, you don't, you don't wade into the pool and you got to dive in. This is kind of like the Bulls and Joe Cowley saying, go out there and, and get Joel Embiid. I'm saying, if you're going to go out there and, and get a quarterback, get a quarterback. Don't go get Andy Dalton. Don't go get Marcus Mariota. See, the problem here, and this is why I want to talk about this, is the Bears seem to always be kind of chasing that trend. When Sean McVay got hired, that's kind of what led to Matt Nagy getting hired. You saw how teams, you saw how this year the the 49ers won with a running game and defense and a quarterback who was not screwing up. Now, that cost them, and I had wrote before the Super Bowl that the Niners winning the championship actually helped solidify Trubisky's spot on the team because it kind of took the pressure off of Pace and Nagy having to upgrade that position. Well, the Super Bowl took all of that goodwill away, and they're going to have to go ahead and address that for real, for real, if they're going to try to win anything because it's about quarterbacks, period. And they don't have one. Now, I'm getting a little sidetracked here just because it's so much with them that I think with the Bears in particular that bothers me about this. But the fact of the matter is, 
if they don't go, if they go and get Andy Dalton and they go and get Marcus Mariota, they're conceding the fact that they have no intentions of actually trying to push Trubisky because they have so much invested in him. And that I think is where their mistake lies. I think that not cutting bait is old hat. And when you chase trends, you get left behind. So trying to chase the trend of getting the running game of defense and saying that you'll just tweak what the Niners did because you think Trubisky has a higher ceiling than Garoppolo. That's risking the biscuit for no reason. Cut bait because the kid hasn't shown you enough and upgrade the position. Do what you have to do to, to upgrade it. And we can talk about offensive line and the weapons around and all that other stuff, but I've seen it. I've witnessed it that a good quarterback can elevate the other weapons around. Now, the Chiefs are a special case because he does, he, Patrick Mahomes elevates, both elevates that team and the team is very stacked with talent. That's a twofold thing. That's why it's so great to see. But I've seen good quarterbacks, great quarterbacks elevate the players around them. And that's one of the criteria I, I was told. So not sure why people act like that's not reasonable to expect from, from the quarterback of the Chicago Bears. That's one that always throws me off. Just wanted to, to make that clear. If they go out there, Andy Dalton, and Marcus Mariota, that's a problem. But they definitely need to be adding a veteran to this quarterback room to push, push Trubisky and, in my opinion, wrestle the job away and salvage the rest of this, what is believed to be a championship caliber defense's ceiling time because that window will close shut on them rather quickly and it won't be coming back anytime soon. Other Bears news, Greg Olson, former Carolina Panthers tight end, said that he did not get contacted by the team, and that was very disappointing to him. He said that he was hoping once he became a free agent that they'd be one of the first to reach out. And on social media, the Bears got a lot of what-are-you-doing reactions, and everybody could understand why they wouldn't want to reach out to Olsen when we that we had horrible position. They wouldn't get anything for him. And listen, the Bears didn't have very good production from the tight end spot, and they are going to look to upgrade it. But going after the former Bear who was – Traded prematurely, in my opinion. I was upset when he was gone in the first place. But when you trade, you're not going to go and get a 34, will be 35 by the time the season rolls around, tight end, expect him to uplift your offense to that level. He's been injured a lot the past few years as well. So it's not like you're getting a guy who's been an Iron Man himself. He's actually been on the training table an awful lot. So I'm not sure why people are banking that as being the salvation for the team and thing that's going to elevate and, and alleviate all the problems that you had from that spot. Now, I know that they're probably talking about in conjunction with dragging somebody, maybe another signing too, but the outrage, the faux outrage I saw about Olsen not getting contacted, I think was a bit much, a bit much. So, again, uh, I just recently finished up my my positional retooling for the Chicago Bears at Last Word on Pro Football, where I talked about the secondary uh, predictions were that, obviously, they're going to be moving on from Ha Clinton Dix. They'll be replacing him. But Prince of Mukamara could be on his way out to save some cap space. They did recently sign former CFLer Trey Roberson of the Calgary Stampeders to a two-year contract. And that is supposedly signifying that Mukamara could be on his way out. I wouldn't be averse to that. He and Kyle Fuller, Mukamara and Kyle Fuller both had down seasons last year. But they the Bears need the money. Again, I think every bit of resources they need to have should go to a quarterback and then you fill all the other holes throughout the draft. That's my personal opinion. You you create as much cap space as you need to, even if that means re-signing Leonard Floyd because you don't want to let him go outright to get all that money, but you want to recap some of that money, recoup some of that money, 
that's fine if it means you're going to spend it on the quarterback and then you draft everything else you need. That I I don't know. I mean, they don't have a lot of a lot of assets anyway. They don't have a lot of capital, draft or financial, to make any moves. So whatever moves you do has to has to be concentrated with the goal in mind. And I think that goal has to be the upgrade quarterback. And if you really want to, you could move Trubisky for whatever you can get, and live with that. And because if you don't win this year, Pace and Nagy, I got news for you. There's a good chance you won't be around next year. That that's just the way it works in this in the NFL. We all know that. And I guess they'd have to. Do, we'll see what they do. They said that they trust them. They said they're going to ride with them. We'll see. They fired their offensive coaches after saying they didn't know if they're going to make any moves. So <laughs> they're not necessarily giving us all the the inner details. We'll see how that winds up working for them. Again, check out that Bears retool secondary guessing. Last word on pro football. That's going to do it for this episode of Triple Zeros. I am your host, Josh Buck. Call to follow me on Twitter at Josh G Buck. Hit up the Facebook page at triple zeros no ease hit up the website juicingjumpers.wordpress.com and of course the email address is triple zeros at gmail.com no ease triple zeros no ease at gmail.com and of course until the very next time